Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is great to worship the Lord with you, and I'm sorry it's so hot in here. It wasn't hot when we started, and then people just kept coming in and opening the door. So uh, so we're really glad you did that and that you're here. So get your Bible out. Turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11. We really are going to kind of meditate our way through uh, the book of James this summer, and uh, really excited to do that with you guys. Get your note sheet out or go to the app and take notes. You always just kind of remember more of the things you write down. So if the Lord kind of speaks something to you, or man, that's an important part to remember, you just remember it more. And uh, we'll talk about why having the Word of God in your heart and mind is important in a little bit. And uh, and so while you're kind of getting your note sheet out and getting your Bible out, a um, couple quick announcements. June 4th, we're going to have training. If you are interested in doing sound or tech for our Sunday mornings, uh, we have training, and it's going to be on the Yorktown campus. Unfortunately, we're going to bring everybody in one campus, so you'd have to travel for that. But man, we'd love for you to be uh, even here at the Gloucester campuses. We're growing. By the way, we're growing. It's crazy, right? And uh, just so you guys know, uh, the church is not a building, right? It's the people. And you guys are really doing a great job in the community, inviting, excited about your church. Uh, But with that said, we are trying to build a building. It's not a church. You're the church. It's a tool to do ministry and we need a bigger one. Amen. And uh, so second announcement, we got our land disturbance permit this week or last late last week. And so we're going to be doing groundbreaking next Sunday at one o'clock at our new Tisa property. Isn't that cool? Very, very exciting. So really want you to be there. And I want to give you a quick update. Uh, some of the stuff I'm about to tell you, I don't even know if Pastor Nate knows all of this, uh, probably knows most of it. But uh, as you know, we've been working behind the scenes to build this building. And some of this is just announcement. Some of it is prayer point. Uh, I guess on the bad news is that our appraisal on the building came in lower than we had hoped, uh, which is really, really common on church buildings. The minute you put the word church on it, they appraise it lower. The same thing happened at Yorktown. I was like arguing with them. I was like, this could be a Walmart. Why are you just you know, making it lower, but it's just kind of the way it goes. That's the bad news. The good that does affect our financing. Uh, we were hoping to uh, to borrow a little bit more. Uh, so now we're, we're going to borrow about half a million less because of the appraisal. Again, that's the bad news. The good news is we have less debt. Okay. So that's the good news. Uh, but that means we're going to be laying out more of Coastal's cash position to finish the project. We are going to finish the project. Uh, but what that means for you guys is, hey, your regular generous giving really helps us, and your over and above giving to the building fund helps us make sure we have a good cash reserve going forward because we want to be in a strong, we are in a strong position, we want to continue to be, and we are going to have to lay out I mean, it's half a million dollars is no small thing, right? So uh, we want to lay that in cash. So we want to lay that out and be building. So that's good and bad news. It is what it is. So we're going forward. Secondly, uh, we have our land disturbance permit. That's why we're doing the uh, groundbreaking. What we don't yet have is our building permit. Uh, that is tied up with VDOT. We need VDOT to give us our full permissions. It's a long story why we're still tra- tied up with them. Every time we think we're done, they throw us a new curveball. And, uh, and I would be happy to give you all the details on that. I'm not going to do that this morning because it's kind of time consuming. But if you want to know, come see me afterwards. And I'll say, hey, here's all the details. Uh, but just be praying, praying, praying. All right. This is a prayer point. Our God's in control. He's sovereign even over all the government agencies. We need to stamp off on this building and be praying. So we're going to do the groundbreaking. It's going to take a couple months to do the site work anyway. And we're praying that by then we'll have the final full stamp building permit and uh, and we will then be able to put the building up. So great news. Thank you. Super excited. God's doing amazing things in the ministry of Coastal through you guys uh, and his ministry in the local church. Okay, excited? Aren't you excited? This is really, really exciting. I'm going to be up here for groundbreaking. I can't wait. And uh, we'll get the golden shovels out. So here we go. Um, let's do this. James chapter one. Uh, today, um, 
really today's sermon is under the umbrella of last week's sermon. So I know Pastor Nate did an incredible job kind of unpacking for us that when you go through various trials, count it all joy when you go through various trials. And so it's under that umbrella, I think James is still giving us instruction uh, about how to live and how to go. And so really James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament, very practical wisdom, how to go through trials with wisdom. In fact, that's really gonna be our first point is wisdom. And I would suggest to you, my experience the older I get is the more, more of life is lived in wisdom than we realize, right? And, and wisdom is kind of the idea of applying uh, two different uh, things that appear to be different truths in the moment and then knowing which way to lean, right? And and we we get this in parenting. Well, we get this in the Gloucester building. You know what? I, God did not show up on my bed and say, build a building in Gloucester, right? It really was a journey of wisdom. It's like, well, we're renting for this much money and for this much money, we can have our own asset, our own building, and we can pay that down through the years. It actually gets cheaper as the years go on where rents usually go up. And you start doing that and you start saying, can we do this? And, and you use wisdom and say, hey, I think it would be wise to build a building. It will help us do ministry better in the long term, in the short term. Everybody with me? And so, and so that's kind of how, you know, I think all, many of us, our lives are lived, okay? And so in the context of trials and how do we get through trials, James chapter one, verse five says this, okay? So we'll read this and then we'll make a few points this morning. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. He's unstable in all his ways. Verse 9, Paul, uh, James changes direction a little bit here. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man uh, fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So let me pull out a couple points this morning. I hope encourage you and challenge you as we go through James. Number one, we are to ask for wisdom, all right? And James says that. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without a reproach and it will be given to him. We, we are letter A, we're, we're commanded to ask for wisdom, right? And this is in the context of a trial. Like when you're going through something difficult, it's in those moments that we need to depend on the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, to get through this, I need your wisdom, I had an opportunity to pray with one of our church members a couple weeks ago. This church member came up to me. She's a second grade public school teacher, and she's being asked to read to second graders a book about transgenderism. And as a Christian woman, this goes against her convictions of gender being assigned at birth. And so she just came to me, and she says, Pastor, what do I do with this, right? It could, could cost her something. And and I said, you know, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord for wisdom. Maybe, maybe God delivers her from this and it just it goes away, but maybe it doesn't, right? And, and she's got to figure out, like, do I do this? Do I not do this? Do I supplement a different book? Like, what can I do? And, and so I just said, let's ask the Lord for wisdom. And, and I really believe most of life is lived there, right? John chapter one says this about Jesus. John chapter one says, Jesus was full of, of grace and what? 
truth or wisdom, right? Grace and truth, right? Jesus is full of both. And I love that because I think that's kind of where we live life a lot of times, right? If those of you who are parents, when you're parenting, especially when your kids are young and you're doing a lot of disciplining and training them up, right? And they do something wrong and they come to you with their sweet, angelic little faces and they look really sad and, you know, cute. And in that moment, you go, man, do I give them grace or do I give them what? The law, truth, right? Like, no, you still did it. And which way to lean? And if you're married, you probably married someone who thinks the opposite. You should lean the opposite way, right? That's the great thing about marriage. You work together on that. And is it grace or truth in this moment? And, you know, and really wisdom is exactly that. You know, let her be. What is wisdom? It's the idea of, of the word of God or knowledge applied, When do I apply and how do I apply the word of God in a particular situation? Which, by the way, lends itself to a question, right? Or really an answer. If we're going to walk in wisdom, we're going to know how to ask the Lord for wisdom and know which way to lean, what what does it assume? It assumes we know the word of God, doesn't it? You know, if, if all you know about the word of God is veggie tales and K-love, you probably need a deeper well, right? And, and, and you need to be in the word. And one of the things we're doing as a church this year is what? We're reading through the word of God, through the dwell booklet, right? Now, maybe you're like, oh, I didn't know about it. It's too late. No, no, it's not too late. Like, pick up where you are and, and be in the word. Did you know that in 15 minutes, if you would give 15 minutes a day you could read through your Bible in one year. Did you know that? How many, well, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands. I suspect many of us in this room, social media gets 15 minutes a year, a day, right? It definitely gets 15 minutes a year. Even I get it 15 minutes a year and I'm never on it. So you know, 15 minutes a day, right? How many of us social media gets 15 minutes a day? Probably a fair amount, right? So 15 minutes a day, man, we can read through the Bible in a year. I remember years ago, I was reading and I, every other year, so the way I do my personal quiet time is every other year I either read through the Bible and then the following year I take a book of the Bible and just study it verse by verse and kind of journal my way through it, just kind of a personal stu- Bible study. And that's kind of how I personally feed my own soul in the Word of God. And so this particular year I was reading through the Bible in a year and I came to Exodus chapter 20 and 21. And in Exodus chapter 21, there's this entire chapter, or at least a half a chapter, on what to do if your ox escapes a pen and gores the neighbor's animals, okay? And, and I'm reading this and I'm like, like, what is this? Like, you know, and I got done, I'm like, well, at least I know what to do if my ox escapes, you know? Like, I'm well-versed. In, and, and one verse in particular stuck out to me. It was Exodus 21, I'll never forget it, 2135, where it was the idea that if your ox escapes and gores your neighbor's ox to death, okay, Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Like, man, this is going to be really applicable this week to my life, okay? So, gores your neighbor's ox to death. The scriptures say what you're supposed to do is take the animal that has been gored to death and divvy up the meat between the two neighbors. And then the ox that's snuck out and gored, that one you're to sell and you're to split the money. So, essentially, both neighbors suffer a little loss, right? And... uh Aren't you glad you came? Like, this is really helpful. Thank you, Pastor Sean. How many of y'all are like, man, I can't wait for Pastor Nate to get back from vacation. Let's be honest, okay? So a week later, I had one of my church members come into my office and his business burned down and it burned three or four other businesses with it. And he being a godly man didn't want to declare bankruptcy. And he goes, I don't know what to do, but if I don't declare bankruptcy, I will be sued. I will never be able to afford 
all of the damage done by this fire. And I said, let's go to Exodus 21, 35. (laughs) And I just applied that. I said, you know what? I think when there's a loss, it's so catastrophic that everybody loses. You take the leftovers and you divvy up the spoils and what is, is what is. Isn't that cool? How many of y'all are gonna read Exodus 21 today when you go home? Like, hey, I wanna know what to do when I have an ox gourd, all right? But we gotta be in the word of God, right? So that, so that we can then know how to apply the word of God. And James says, let her see, that when we go to the Lord and we ask for the Lord for wisdom, he gives it generously. Let, let her see, God is generous in giving wisdom. We are commanded to ask for the Lord to give us wisdom and what we can expect from God is that God is a good God and God is a generous God and God wants to give us wisdom when we're in the middle of a trial going, God, how do I get through this, right? And God provides that, which leads me to the second point. James says, number two, we're to ask in faith. And we ask the Lord in faith, James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea, a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. And so the first thing I want you to see is that this asking from the Lord implies that God is a good God. He's a generous God. Wisdom, letter A, is a gift from the Lord. We're to ask in faith, right? One of the things that I love about prayer, prayer reminds us and me that I'm actually dependent on God. How many of y'all have gotten in a situation, something's really trial, difficulty, and a person says, and I've said this probably, a person says, well, guess all we can do now is pray. (laughs) What a silly statement, right? Like, I guess all we can do now is go in front of the creator of the universe who when he speaks, the cosmos comes into existence and this creator is good and this creator cares for me. I guess all we can do now is go and talk to him about our situation, right? Like, man, we we are invited into the presence of God to pray and to ask for wisdom. And here's the deal, this God, this creator of the universe, he hears you and he cares for you and he can do something about it, right? I mean, think about like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, right? And then Daniel and they heat the fire up and, and oh king, like our soul is committed to worshiping the one true God. We cannot bow down to your statue. Okay, I got to throw you in the fire. He throws them in the fire and God shows up, right? Maybe, and they even say, maybe God doesn't show up, but he can if he wants to, right? And we are invited to go into the presence of God when we're facing trials and God, this is really hard. I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And God hears and God cares and God can do something about it if he wants to because he knows best how to display his glory in and through your life. Isn't that great news? Doesn't that make you want to pray more? Anybody? I have a kid on my prayer list that I've been praying for him to know Jesus. I haven't seen him in... in five plus years. And I've just been praying for him every week. I pray for people in my life or that used to be in my life that maybe don't know Jesus. Jesus do something. And uh, about eight weeks ago, he showed up to church and he'd been, he came for five straight weeks. And I was like, I should be praying more, right? That's, that's how I was like, why am I not praying more for God to work? Cause he's always working in the people around us. All right. Second thing, 
James says here. He says, doubt means that we're double-minded. Now, I don't think, I've heard a lot of bad theology around this verse, right? That you pray without doubting, right? The word doubt here is actually, it's not like intellectual conflict or intellectual doubt. In fact, I've often said this, if you've heard me preach for any length of time, I always say the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience, Okay, so how do I know that I believe? And maybe you guys have done this. Maybe you did this for the coastal church building. Okay, Uh, there's been times where I felt like, man, the Lord has called me to give generously and to the point where it was actually scary. And maybe you've done that and you've given generously. And and it wasn't like in that moment that I had no doubt. Like, man, I don't know what. Like, how's all this going to work out? But in that moment, I know that I have faith because I'm obeying the Lord and I'm trusting the Lord to provide. Okay. The word for doubt here is the idea of being double-souled. It's that the anchor of your soul is anchored to possibly two things, right? It's like, man, I'm going to pray to God to get me through this difficult time. But if that doesn't work out, I'll check my horoscope, now maybe the stars will help me out, right? Or I'll, I'll con- how, this is great. This is old people. I don't know if they still do this. When I was in the, in the 70s, this was a big deal. You would pray to God, but you also had your lucky rabbit's foot. Haven't you ever, like, why would you carry the carcass of an animal around in your pocket or pocketbook? Like, it's so weird. Anyway, but yeah, but it's the idea of being double sold. And in fact, James even says in, in a couple weeks, we'll see this in James chapter four, he says, we actually should pray in such a way that we go, if the Lord wills, like it's a submission to the will of the Lord. That's not doubting like, hey, this is what I think God. I'm in the middle of this trial. Here's how I think I could get through it easily, you know, or if you would help me do this, but you know what, God, not my will, but your will be done. Like maybe you're doing something else. Like the idea is, man, my soul is not anchored only to the Lord, but it's anchored potentially to other things. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 18. You guys probably know this story. It's a great, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah the prophet, uh, the nation of Israel has genuinely become double-souled, okay? They've let the prophets of Baal kind of come in and conflict people, right? And so Elijah, if you know the whole story, he gets up in front of the people of Israel who should know that God is the one and only God. He delivered them out of the nation of Egypt. We talked about that this year when we did the Exodus series, right? He gave them the promised land. All the people on the planet should know who God is. It was the nation of Israel, but they were conflicted of whether they should follow Yahweh, the God of the Bible, or the, the prophets of Baal. And so Elijah sets up this contest. How many of y'all remember this contest? He goes, I'll tell you what. You guys build an altar, prophets of Baal, and I'll build an altar over here to the one true God, and then you guys go and pray, and, and, if ba- and, and I'll pray, and whoever, whatever God sends fire from heaven, we'll know that's the one true and living God, right? And so uh, Elijah's like, I'll let you guys go first, okay? And so they go first, they build it, they're dancing all day. And there's actually, and I don't remember the exact verse, you guys can read it for yourself in 1 Kings 18, but there's actually a couple verses in there where Elijah starts to talk trash. And so like, if you're a, if you're a trash talker on the basketball court or something, you're just like the prophet Elijah. And so, and so he, he actually yells like, hey, hey guys, maybe he's in the bathroom, right? That's funny, right? That's really funny. And so maybe he can't hear you because he's going potty kind of thing and talks trash with them. 
And nothing happens. Of course, you know the story. He prays, he takes water and dumps it all over his altar. He prays and the Lord sends fire from heaven. But at the beginning of this challenge in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah says this, and I love this verse and it concerns me and I hope it's not the place that you're in as a follower of Jesus, okay? It says, Elijah came near to all the people. This is before he sets up the contest. And he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And here's one of the most disturbing passages in all the scripture. When you think about the nation of Israel, who should have known was the true and living God? And it says, and the people did not answer him a word. They should have in that moment, go, of course, like Yahweh is the one true and living God. Like, we have no doubt about that, right? When we pray in doubt, the idea is we're praying with a double soul, which letter C is, the Christian, for the Christian, the desire, what God is molding in us is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. That's ultimately what God is after, right? When Jesus was asked, sum up all the commandments, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one's just like, love your neighbors yourself, right? And so what is God molding in us? He's shaping us so that our hearts are completely anchored to God alone. There's no place in the heart of a Christian for two gods at once. And what happens is this leads, as James says, to being like a wave, you're just tossed back and forth. In no way should a trial in the heart of a Christian push our minds and hearts to be thinking, maybe God's not real. Maybe God's not in this. Maybe God doesn't care about me. That's, that's being double sold. Now, it doesn't mean, I don't think, that you can't argue with God, right? By the way, did you know that the nation of Israel, when God changed Jacob's name to Israel, does anybody know what that name means? Anybody? Israel. What's it mean? It means what? Prince. Prince. Yeah, and that's Judah. Okay, but let's go. Israel means to wrestle with God. I love that. Think about all the things that God could have named his people. He could have named them to joy of the Lord, to know the Lord, to love the Lord. What did he name them? He named them to wrestle with God. So at least when you go through a trial and it's hard and it's frustrating, you're not double-souled running to your lucky rabbit's foot, but you are wrestling with God going, I don't understand, but I trust you and I know you're still intimately involved. Isn't that cool? All right, the wrestle with God. I wrestled with God. December 23rd this year, I wrestled with God. I sat down with the group that we're building our building with and they gave us the price and I was angry. I was like, this is so far above what we had discussed a year and a half ago, pre-COVID, right? And uh, I, and the next day was Christmas Eve and I had to preach three services at Yorktown and I was frustrated and I wrestled for a week, week and a half. I wrestled, man. I was, I was not double-sold, but I was wrestling with the Lord going, I don't understand what you're doing. And so what is the desire of God? He's molding us a heart that's anchored to him and him alone. And guess what? Trials sometimes do that. While we're asking for wisdom, they at least, as we come through them on the other side, go, you know what? My soul was still captured by the Lord. I'm still a worshiper of the Lord. I know many of your stories, not all of them in this room. I know many of them. One of the things I love about a local church is knowing when you go through a difficult time and yet you still choose to show up with your brothers and sisters in the Lord and worship him, like that encourages me because I'm like, okay, it's hard. I know what you're going through is hard, but you are not double-souled. You are worshiping the Lord. All right, number three, the third thing I want you to see this morning is the trial of poverty. So in New Testament times, when especially the early church, when you became a Christian, um, 
you probably were going to be impoverished, actually. You see that in uh, Revelation chapter 2, as the letters to the early churches go out from the Lord and through the Apostle John, and the angels of each church deliver a letter, and almost all of them are like, hey, you're going to go through a really hard time, right? You're going to get thrown in jail for 10 days. Welcome to Christianity, okay? So it was very, very common as you became a Christian in New Testament times, you were going to suffer for your faith. Can I just tell you something? We're really, really blessed as Americans, and I don't, um, this is not a prophecy because if I'm wrong, I don't want to get stoned. Okay, I should be stoned to death if I'm, but, but like I do think the future's coming and it's not always going to be so easy to be a Christian, okay? And so I do think we can look at these verses and be encouraged that the Lord is with us and he's going to see us through. And I think, I think we'll actually see more of like these really cool interventions of the Lord because that's what he does for his people when they're going through difficult times, okay? And so, uh, so the trial of poverty, this church was, they were going through poverty. Like they would become Christians. A lot of times they would lose their jobs, right? So first James 1 says this, he says, let the lowly brother, this is by the way, lowly brother is not like a reflection on a person's personhood. This is about economic position, all right? So the person is poor. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so a couple things I want to pull out of here. First of all, James is encouraging these believers to boast in their present status in Christ. So even though maybe they didn't have economic means, these Christians were probably social outcasts because they were Christians, okay? James says, I want you to exalt in who you are in Christ. By the way, who are you in Christ? James, Romans chapter eight says that when you become a Christian, you are now a co-heir with Christ. So here's what that means. All the inheritance that God has reserved for Jesus, when we give our, when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus, we're now co-heirs with Christ. And all of the inheritance that Jesus has received from God the Father, we will share in forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't that cool? Co-heirs with Christ, okay? And we share in that inheritance. Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. He sees your seating with Christ and your union with Christ as such a, a present, even though it's a future thing, it's such a present reality, a done deal. He says, you are indeed right now seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So James is saying, I want you to remind your heart and your mind of your present status in Christ, no matter your economic circumstances. He says, letter B, to boast in your exaltation. Therefore, we are constantly encouraged to remind our hearts and our minds to think about eternity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 that no matter what you're going through, whatever trial you're going through, the Bible calls these light and momentary afflictions. Why? Because we're already seated in the heavenly places, sharing in the inheritance God has reserved for his son, Jesus Christ. So are your finances tight? Maybe, right? Are you impoverished? Maybe. But in this short time called life, we can be assured that we have an incredible inheritance set aside for us for all eternity. And so Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, if you're gonna boast about something, boast that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Brag on that, okay? Okay. 
And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have a lot to brag about. You're in Christ and you will share in Christ's inheritance for all of eternity. Isn't that great news? And so as Christians, we need to be eternally minded. I often say we are not eternally minded enough. We need to be boasting in the inheritance that Christ has given us, which reminds us, number four, James reminds us, number four, we're to remind ourselves that riches are an undependable prop. Riches are an undependable prop. James 1.10, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers and grass and its flowers fall, its beauty perishes, so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Now, let me talk about wealth for a minute. Riches are an undependable prop, right? Anybody invest in the stock market right now? It's been a painful year, hasn't it, right? Probably all of us some here have some investment somewhere, right? I, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a stock market junkie. If I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be a financial advisor. That's my second love in life is financial advising. I don't do it, but I, you know, my own. And I had a friend of mine knows I love that, and he texted me Friday when the market was down big. He said, man, what do you think? And I was like, I think the market's either going to go up or it's going to go down. Okay, so there we go. Like, like, here's the deal. Ready? We don't know. The Bible actually says riches can grow wings like a bird and fly away. Like, man, if it's an undependable prop. And let me talk to you guys, okay? Because uh, no matter where you are on the economic scale, I can almost guarantee you, globally speaking, how many of y'all have ever been on a missions trip, by the way, a coastal missions trip or any missions trip for that matter? All right, well, good, a lot, a fair amount of you. If you haven't, let me just encourage you, man. One of your summers coming up, when we do these mission trips, take a week off vacation and go to a mission trip. It will radically reshape your worldview. And one of the things that you're going to learn, especially when you go to a third world country, like you're going to meet people that have so much less than you. It's hard to even get your head around at times. And you're going to meet these people that have so much joy, more joy than you. You're going to go, I'm missing out on something in my life, right? And uh, because wealth and poverty do not determine joy, right? It's your heart posture with the gospel of Christ and an eternal mindset. And so, so all that to say, like in this room, you're probably globally way high up there in the top one couple percent of wealthiest people on the planet. Like no, almost no doubt about it, okay? And so now what we do is we look around at a wealthy country and like, man, I'm not there. I remember my wife, when I first met her in the 90s, she used to babysit for the New York Mets. And I was actually sitting in the house of one of the New York Mets when they had just signed a fairly large contract. Uh, and this was, you know, 20 years ago. It would pale compared to the current contracts. But back then, it was a fair amount. And I remember his wife saying, you know, we don't, we don't have as much money as people think we have. And it just made me laugh because I'm like, no matter your economic situation, there's always someone with more, amen, right? No matter where you're like, man, if I could just get there, you know, and there, get there. So all that to say, whatever God has given you is what he's called you to steward, okay? And by the way, I'm a huge believer in wealth building. Like I think we should build wealth, but we should caution our hearts that wealth doesn't own us, amen? And so letter A, right? Christian must guard against trust in wealth, all right? We ultimately trust the Lord. 
Uh, Psalm 49 says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich and when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. I heard the story of a really wealthy man that passed away. And at his funeral, one, one financial advisor said to the other financial advisor, said, how much do you think he left behind? And the other financial advisor said, all of it, all right? We don't take any of it with us, right? It doesn't matter how much wealth you do or don't accumulate. You, not, there, you know, there's no Brinks truck driving behind you at your funeral, right? Uh, you don't take any of it with us. And 1 Timothy 6 reminds us that it's about heart posture when it comes to money, that we, our hearts are not to be captured by financial resources. If God has blessed you, praise God and use it for his, his fame and for his glory. But man, don't let it capture your heart posture. Let her be. I think James here is reminding us that a wealthy Christian must work hard to remember their need for Christ. A Christian who has wealth must constantly guard their heart against pride and self-sufficiency. A heart posture that checks and says, man, am I captured by Christ? And so James says, your, you, your humiliation is to continue to remind yourself of your need for Christ. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks where this, the, this church, James is warning this church not to give uh, any kind of partiality to the rich. Don't tell the rich to sit over here and the poor to sit over here. Uh, and we tend to do that, right? And, and as a culture, as man, let's give more to the rich. And so James is saying, at the foot of the cross, it is flat, right? We all need to bow a knee to Jesus Christ. We all need to be reminded that we are sinners, no matter how much money you do or don't have. You're a sinner and you deserve the wrath of God, but God's grace and mercy sent his son Jesus and we all need to bow a knee and be worshipers of Jesus and we need to be reminding our own hearts of our true condition before God Almighty, no matter how much wealth we do or we don't have, because wealth presents opportunity for business and investment and self-reliance. And what James is saying is, I think, a very important warning that we need to preach to our hearts the truth of letter C, life's brevity. We need to constantly remind our minds and our hearts of how short life indeed is. James says in James 1.11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers like the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I, uh, in my backyard, I, I bought my, I've lived in my house now for 13 or 14 years, whatever. And, um, the person that owned it before me, they planted, and last service, someone told me it was probably tulips. I'm not really a gardener, but I have these, these large amounts of flowers that they bloom for literally like a week. And for like a week, usually right around Easter, my yard looks amazing. There's all these flowers. And then they die, and then these flowers, these bulbs leave like this large thing of grass that I got to then cut and trim and haul away. It's literally multiple wheelbarrows full of, you know, tulip petals or whatever's left, right? And I always look at this, I'm like, why am I not just spraying weed killer on this and being done with this, right? Uh, but for a week, it's awesome, right? And, and those of you who love the garden, like for a week, it's just incredible. And, and, I, and, and this text reminds me our life is like that flower that lives for a week, man. It flowers and then it's gone. And we, it, it is a helpful thing 
to remind ourselves of our brevity. Now, I know when you're young, you think, man, I'm never, you know, it's, I've got forever. You don't have forever. Psalm 90 says this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of, what's the last word there, church? We're talking about wisdom in trials. And the psalmist says, man, it's a good thing to number our days so that we may live a life of wisdom. And what is a wise thing? A wise thing is to remember, man, there's something after this life that's eternal, and I need to plan for that. Last week, uh, you know, I talked about how we need to be wise in our journey and, and, and delay our gratification. That's really a wise person. And a wise person says, man, eternity is what matters. And so one of the wisest things that you can do with your limited time on earth is to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, receive him as your savior, serve him and worship him because everything else like grass, like the flowers in my backyard, it's like a vapor and it's gone. And we want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna finish with a story this morning. Um, I, so I told this story last week at Yorktown. So I know there's probably a handful of you all that listen to all the sermons. And so you're like, he's repeating himself. So the girl that actually does our sermon notes and makes sure that they all get the right spots at the right campuses, she emailed me this week. She says, Pastor Sean, you're, you're using the same story as last week. And I said, yeah, I'm going to Gloucester, new audience. Okay, so uh, you ever been to a conference? You're like, man, that conference speaker's amazing. They're amazing because they have five great stories and they just need a new audience every night, right? So uh, I have five great stories. So, so I used this last week, but this story, um, so some of you may have heard it, but the story is in the context of James chapter one, which starts with count it all joy. Count it all joy when you go through various trials. You, you, you listen, um, some of you are here today, your, your trial today is weighty and you're in it, all right? Some of you this morning are not in a trial. I got bad news for you. You're going to go into one, right? Because when? When you go through various trials. And some of you are coming out the back end of a trial. Like, it's just the nature of life. It's broken. We're in a sinful world until Christ returns and you know, restores all this broken. So it's in the context. The story is in the context of count it all joy. And in the middle of this trials, ask for wisdom. Don't depend on your wealth and number your days. Okay, so how in, in the context of trials, how do we count it all joy? So I want to tell you of a woman that left a deep, deep impression on me on how to live with joy. Some of you all will know this person, all right, uh, when I mention her name. Some of most of you, I suspect, were not. Um, of all the people I've ever known in life, this, I've never seen anyone exude this much joy. And it's not because this lady's journey was easy. Her journey was extremely, extremely difficult. In 2010 or 2011, she got diagnosed with an extremely aggressive form of breast cancer. Um, she recovered from that. She had a couple years where she was cancer-free. Um, she lived in... Um, what I would probably call an upper middle class neighborhood uh, in the York County community until she became the victim of an elaborate fraud scheme where she literally, literally lost everything. She actually was, became one of the poorest people I knew, I personally knew. In fact, I remember um, when we helped her move, 
um, our staff helped her move, and we were in front of the, her house, and we had this really small pickup, and everything that she owned fit in the back of this really small pickup. And I, I looked at my staff, and we're in front of this pretty nice house, and I'm like, look at the irony here of what she's going through. And of course, they knew how much joy she had in the midst of this, and it was just, it was really, really fascinating. During this time of being schemed out of her all her financial resources, her cancer came back with a vengeance. And her doctor said that things did not look good. And so what you probably don't know, um, the elders of Coastal, we took some time to pray and we felt like this lady, First Timothy 5, was a, a widow indeed. And it was our job as a church to take care of her. And so you, we, took care of her financially. We made sure she had her shelter. Um, we made sure she had food. We made sure she had a car. We actually hired her. For, as long as her health allowed her, she worked at our front desk. And uh, anybody that met her would have never, ever known her circumstances. Never. She never complained. She wasn't miserable. She brought joy and brightened the day of everyone that she interacted with. I remember during this time just meeting with her to counsel her and pray with her. And one of the meetings I said to her, I said, how is it that you're exuding so much joy? And she says, well, first of all, I, I forgave, totally forgave the person who committed fraud against me. And I've never been bitter about my cancer diagnosis. Martha Bennis went home to be with the Lord February 5th, 2019. And I can honestly say I don't know many people that stared down death with such a quiet resolve. Two weeks before she passed, um, I had just was sitting with her one day and I said, hey, help me understand, how do you process in your mind the idea that you're dying so young? This is what she said. I want you to hear this. I wrote this down because I'll never forget it. She said, I am humbled that the Lord would want me home so soon. Who says that, right? Like, it's a person who has an intimate relationship with the Lord. It's a person who's not double-souled. It's a person who's numbered their days and says, man, I can, my, my life can be used for God's glory. A couple days later, Pastor Joey, who's now the pastor at Deer Park, the church we helped plant, went to visit with her. And she said to Pastor Joey that um, she was a little disappointed in me and Pastor Sean. I was like, well, join a long line of people who are disappointed in Pastor Sean, you know, whatever. So she said, uh, you know, Pastor Sean didn't ask me what he always asks people when they're dying. And so Pastor Joey said, and this, this is where it makes me chuckle, uh, he says, so what is it that he asked that he should have asked you? And she said, he didn't ask me if I had any regrets. And the reason I chuckled at that is I never ask anybody what their regrets are. I mean, what a weighty statement. Who wants their pastor to come visit when they're dying of cancer? Like, here we go. Let me list my life's regrets. So just me, but that's what she thought I should have asked her. And so Pastor Joey said, um, well, what would you want to tell him? And she said, tell Pastor Sean, my only regret is, I wish I hadn't wasted so much of my time. I didn't start following Jesus Christ until I was 40, and I wish I had started following him so much sooner. Incredible. This person exuded joy. She said to me when I was talking specifically about joy with her one day, I said, how do you exude so much joy? She says, I get up every single day and I end every single night. So in the morning I get up and the night before I go to bed, I repeat Philippians 4 verse 7. Here's Philippians 4 verse 7. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Church, my prayer for you is when you face various trials, that you would know the peace of God. And so here's how I want to end the service this morning. I want to end the service with a, uh, with a benediction. How many of y'all grew up in a church that did a formal benediction? Raise your hand. So I'm going to benedict over you this morning. Uh, the actual word benediction actually means a blessing. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Now, before I do that, I want to invite the prayer team up. Is anybody here from the prayer team? I'm going to embarrass you this morning, all right? Come on up, guys. So I know it's like, I don't want to get up while people are looking at me. Here's why I'm doing this. Here's why I'm doing this. This is very, very important. You come in, I don't know, maybe this week things are going great. Next week, maybe things aren't going great. Maybe a month from now, things aren't going great. I always want you to know, these folks are here to pray with you. Never, never leave a service here at Coastal when, you're, when your burden is heavy. We wanna pray with you. We wanna be a blessing to you. We want someone to bear your burdens with you. And we get to enter into the presence of God Almighty and he hears your prayers and he cares for you. And he journeys with you. And these folks are here to say, we want to pray with you if you want someone to bear your burden with us or with you. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to pray a prayer of blessing. We're going to do it with our eyes open. My daughter, a couple weeks ago, we were praying. My eyes were open. And I got done praying. First, she said, your eyes were open. I said, how do you know? She said, I was looking. And I said, secondly, the Bible doesn't actually say we have to close our eyes all the time. I don't know where we get that. So, so we're not distracted. But I think we can pray with our eyes open and not be distracted at the same time, Okay. So here we go. I'm going to, eyes open. We're going to pray a prayer of blessing and ask the Lord to be with you. So here we go, church. And then we're going to stand and sing. So here's my prayer of blessing. Church, may the peace of God guard your heart and your mind. And may you count your trials and your tests as opportunities to grow in your faith, grow in your steadfastness, May you ask God for wisdom who gives generously. May you remain eternally minded as you endure suffering for the joy that is set before you. And may there be no wasted trials. May each one be an opportunity to show off Jesus Christ in and through your life. It's my prayer of blessing. Amen, church? Community would be a lot different if they saw Jesus living through us. Amen. In the middle of trials. Let's stand and worship him this morning. Let's go out singing. I'm so glad you came and let's praise the Lord in song.